Good morning. Uh, today's scripture comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kendrick. Awesome. Morning. Everybody doing okay? Good. Hey, we're in our third part of our unity series and last week was part one it's kind of a strange way that we did it I don't really still know why we did it this way but we did Uh, part one was Sunday part two was Wednesday and part three our conclusion is here this morning and if you weren't here with us Sunday essentially what you need to know is that we talked about how unity is kind of like electrical wiring that if you want power to turn on the light switch so that you can see then there's got to be unity within that wiring. There's got to be uh, sort of meshed together so that that power can display to the world. And the same is true in the church. That Jesus says in John chapter 17, his prayer is that we would be one. And then when we are one, when we have unity, that's when the power of God can display to the world. So they get a clearer picture of who Jesus is when the church has unity. And before we get into the message today, there's a couple Uh, things I'd like to share with you. And uh, this research looks a little bit grim, but I want to explain to you why we have hope moving forward. If if you've ever heard of Barna Research, it's B-A-R-N-A, and they essentially serve as like a a mirror to Christianity, to kind of what's going on. They they release studies and they do research as to what's happening in Christian circles. And so in 2019, they found this. They found that two-thirds of U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church have withdrawn from church involvement as an adult after having been active in those situations. Now that's up from 2011 when it was 59%. So the trajectory of those leaving the church continues to go up, unfortunately, at least for now. Also, according to Barna's study last year, uh, just over a third, 35%, of church members say they experience unity within their local church, let alone the church as a whole, just the local church. Now, I'm not exactly trying to line these two things up here, because you're probably doing the math and you're like, that sounds like about 100%. But I'm not trying to do that exactly, because certainly there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of things at play here, but don't you think that if the church had more unity, if that number of 35% was higher then the number of people leaving the church would be lower. And so, of course, people are going to make their own decisions. Man, I've seen time and time again, unfortunately, where kids grow up in an environment, they've got people, not just family, like biological family, but they've got church family that rallies around them, and yet they still make their own decisions, and they rebel, and they, and they go away. But I think for us, it's to paint a clearer picture of what the faith is. Right? And so by unity, like we talked about last week, when we have unity, we're painting a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And that's really the goal, right? There's there's really nothing we can do to a degree about people leaving the church. That's just going to happen. People will leave the faith. That just happens. But doesn't it really bother you when you feel like people have left the faith without really having a full understanding of who Jesus is? And so for us, We desire to have unity so that the choice is clear for people before they walk away from the faith. 
And that's why we talked about what we did last week, that unity paints a clear picture of who Christ is. So last week we talked about putting everything under Christ. This is our first step in order to have unity, right? That everything has to be under Christ. Christ has to be at the top. And so by that commonality, now we can begin the process of having unity. So what's the second step? We're going to talk about this today. That if everything is under Christ, the second thing we can do is embrace the family language of the New Testament. And I think this is one of the things that I believe separates Christianity from all other ways of life. It's this family language, right? Because you could be my friend, and that goes a long way. Friendship goes a long way. But to be my brother or my sister, now that's a whole other level, isn't it? And so in the New Testament, you see over and over this family language. What if the choice for that 18 to 29-year-old demographic when they leave the house, and right now the choice is, essentially, I've grown up with this belief system, can I continue to believe it because I'm hearing about these other belief systems? And now that's, that's part of it, right? That's a part of it. It always will be part of it, the belief system. But what if it was also, you know, I would really have to be convinced of this other thing in order to leave my family behind. Now that's a whole different level, isn't it? It's, it's more about belonging than just believing, and I think that's something maybe the church has gotten away from in the past. It's, about, it's all about what you believe, and that is true. We've got to believe foundationally the things that are true about Jesus. But it is also about belonging. And so for us, how can we be a family moving forward? The Christian faith is always about believing and it's about belonging. It's believing and belonging. And so when we talk about the family, the family of God, we're not just talking, obviously, about biological parents and biological siblings. We're talking about all of us playing a part in this as brothers and sisters. Man, the early church did that. After Jesus' death and resurrection, how often does Paul say, hey, brothers, brothers and sisters, right? So for us, moving forward, I think that that's important for us to adopt this family language like the early church did. So let's put, a, let's put ourselves back in that time period of the early church. So why was this language so appealing to the culture? Well, um, fathers would often be about a generation older than the mothers in this culture. And not only that, but fathers typically on average died by about the age of 35 in this culture. So likely you were raised in an environment without your father for most of your childhood. Very, very often. And not only that, but whenever you had siblings, very often those siblings wouldn't make it through those early years because there'd be sickness, there'd be disease, there'd be miscarriages, there'd be all these things so often. So when Jesus talks about this family language of saying, you no longer just have to call God, God, like the Pharisees do, you can actually call him Father, and then through Jesus to have a great perfect brother and then through him to have many brothers and sisters think about how appealing this was to a culture that was very much a fatherless culture and I think today we have this same opportunity don't we as parental involvement is sort of shaky at best and it's continuing to get worse not better that the church can point to a great father and we can adopt people into our own families we could say man 
because we've been adopted into the family of God, now we want other people to come and be a part of this family. What would it look like for us to just say, hey, brother, hey, sister, man, we got your back. You belong here. You belong with us. I think we have that same opportunity that the Christians had in Rome, that the Romans would often throw away their young kids in forests or caves and things like that if they weren't really strong and healthy. But then the Christians would go back and they'd get these kids and they'd care for them. Why? Because they knew where they were. I mean, they knew that they were not in the family of God. They weren't born into that until they had new life. And when they had new life, then they were born into a family with a great father and a great brother. And so, man, they just said, yes, we will bring you in. We will make you a part of our family. What would it look like for us to do that? And not only do you not have a father anymore who's just willing to toss you aside, you have a father who's going to make a way when there's no way so that you can have right relations with him forever. Now that's appealing to a culture that is missing parental involvement. I think for us, this is the way forward. We have that same opportunity, y'all, family is the number one influence in a kid's life. Even when they get older in, you know, middle school and high school, they start to, you know, social environment, stuff like that. That's important too. But even in those moments, family is most important. What would it look like for us to say, man, you're a part of our family. And now your choice looks a little bit different whenever you go off. Man, instead of saying, I don't know if I believe this thing anymore, maybe saying, I've got to get attached to a family of believers because this environment here that I've been a part of, it's different. I mean, this is a family, and I don't know if I can function without a family. So I've got to get attached to a church here. I've moved out, but I've got to be a part of this group of people because we are a family. And Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament. There's literally a hundred verses we could have gone to, but I'm going to read just a few here. Uh, Romans 12.10, like Kendrick read for us. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Y'all, Christianity is about family. Christianity is about family. Here's where we're going to land the plane for the series. If you'll turn to Hosea 1, we're going to go from 10 through uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured and numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, 
And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Y'all, this uh, prophecy has been fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we have one head, and that's Jesus. And now we can look upon our brothers and sisters who are in this room. We can say, you are my people. You have received mercy. What would it look like for us to just say, man, this is our people. You're my brother. You're my sister. How can we adopt this family language? What if, what if it just became different, the choice that's being made by this demographic? What if it just was no longer just about a belief, even though it is about a belief, but it was also about belonging? Where do I belong? And guys, if we're a family, then we belong with our family. Then theolo- theology is important. Theological truths are important. But part of that theology now And the Christian faith is that you are my people. We are each other's people. So as we go here today in a little bit, what does it look like for us to say, you are my people? And sure, that demographic, they'll, they'll continue to wander off, continue to rebel to a degree. But you also may find some that say, yeah, i I got to be with my people. I'm not leaving here because these are my people. And I don't know how to function without my people. Y'all, this is true today in the church because of Jesus Christ and because of everything being under Christ. Now, worship team, I'm going to go ahead and invite you guys back up. I'm going to pray to kind of end this part, and then I need to go into something else to share with you guys. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will... Pray that you will... Make us be one. And I pray that the choice for the next generation will be so clear. Because they see you for who you are. And they just say, I'm not going anywhere because this is my family. I mean, I have a good father. I have the best brother and I have brothers and sisters. And man, this is where I belong. And I pray that it will be true. In the next generation. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I need to switch gears uh, completely from the message, and I'm both very relieved um, and also very nervous to share this with you all, so I'm probably going to stick pretty close to my notes. Let me start by saying I've been baptized twice in my life, once when I was eight years old, and While it was a very special moment that I had with my dad, it wasn't an outward profession of an inward change. It was more of an outward profession of an inward desire for attention, really, than anything else. There was a kid in my class who had been baptized, and the teachers gave him so much praise, and I wanted to be baptized, and the teacher to give me that praise as well, so I got baptized. It wasn't until about 19 or 20 years old that I asked actually found new life in Christ. God brought a wonderful woman into my life who I gravitated towards and who showed me the ways of Jesus, as many had done before, but this time I listened and received the good news of Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. This is when my faith became real and genuine and authentic, just as I had learned it from Morgan. 
Now, I didn't get baptized right away, though, I, and I'm still not sure why. It could have been because many of my friends thought I was already a Christian because I really looked the part. I said the right things and acted like one in front of them, so it, it would have been confusing to be baptized then. Or maybe it was because it was such a good moment that I had with my dad before when I was eight, and I didn't want to let him down by confirming that the moment we had wasn't real. Looking back, I'm not sure that it would have mattered to him at all. He would have been nothing but excited. It could have been just because I never really even thought about it. Baptism just wasn't on my radar, and I'm not sure why. Whatever the reason, though, I just never did until we flash forward a few years when I'm about 26 years old. Morgan and I had a little one-bedroom apartment that place was like a little Cracker Jack box. Oakley, our oldest, would sleep in the bedroom and we'd slide a mattress into the living room every night where Morgan and I would sleep. And we had one salary at the time and it was a social work salary. So, you know, you do the math. But we were close and it was a very special time. One day we're sitting in our little apartment and I said to Morgan, I said, you know, I never did get baptized. I I had been when I was a kid, but not after I've had actual new life. So I said, you know what, why don't we just go ahead and do it right now? We'll use our little tub in, in this shower, and you're here, and Oakley is here. Let's just do it. So Morgan, being the one who helped lead me into faith, helping make me a disciple, she baptized me right there in that little one-bedroom apartment that night. It was, it was simple. It was pure. It was authentic. And it was frankly a very beautiful moment. But within the last few weeks, for whatever reason, I've really gone back to that moment in 2015 and I've tried to evaluate if it was really a theologically legitimate baptism or not. You know, baptism is outward. It's an outward expression of an inward change. And you do see stories in the New Testament that would point you to think that though it's outward, it is not necessarily public. Philip and the Ethiopian in Acts 8, they're just on the road and they're like, hey, look, there's some water. Let's stop and do your baptism now. Or Acts 9, the same idea with Paul, same thing. But in my case, it's difficult to look back and establish my motives for doing it the way that I did. Sure, all I wanted to do at that time was be with Morgan and Oakley. They were my girls. They were my world. I'd rush home to see them every day from work. And that was truly enough to make that moment special, but I can't say for certain that it was all done with pure motives. It's entirely possible that my wanting it to just be family was simply because it was easier that way, you know? I should have done it sooner, and I didn't, so let's just do it really quick and not make it a bigger deal. And I can't say eight years removed what all led to me doing it that way, and my biased mind would say it was because those were my people and I just wanted to finally get it done but I can't say that for certain so all these thoughts have been coming back up over the past couple of weeks and I prayed about it for a few days and finally I just had enough conviction about it to call and explain to the elders that I just wasn't sure if my baptism from back in 2015 was legitimate or not and then I just kind of left it in their hands and I was a bit afraid going into those calls because I wasn't sure where it would all land. I told them, look, I don't know what I need to do next. If, if there's any discipline, if, 
there's anything you guys need to do here about this, I fully support whatever it is you guys decided. And of course, being the men that they are, they just said, we trust you, we support you, and whatever you need to do with it all, we are behind you 100%. So I went home this past Wednesday evening and after our elder meeting and by Thursday morning, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be especially hard now that we're talking about unity and it could cause some issues in that regard. I knew it would be hard to admit that this should have happened the right way a long time ago. I knew that there might be people who would view me differently from this moment forward. I knew that from my position and leadership, it would be awkward. But I also knew that I needed to clearly and emphatically express to the world that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior through the obedient act of baptism. And I knew that it needed to happen immediately. I needed to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And while it should have done, been done a long time ago, today, in front of my brothers and sisters as your pastor, I want to be obedient to this next step of faith by being baptized here today. So at this time... So this time with, with the right motivations and for all to see, not caring about the opinions of my second grade teachers at Bosqueville Elementary School, I want to ask my dad to once again come and baptize me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
love to celebrate with you all this morning. Let us stand and sing. Great! 